So what is wisdom and how do you get it? Let's start by thinking about what wisdom is by looking at verses 1 through 5 of this chapter. I'm sure when we ask this question, what is wisdom, some sort of general sense comes, comes to mind. But I know that I found this week as I thought, well, okay, how would I define it more closely, that my definition soon became quite vague. I had a, a general sense of what wisdom is, but uh, my attempt to define it became quite vague. And I think this notion of wisdom in our culture tends to be this mystical or kind of enigmatic thing. So, Yoda is wise, and Gandalf is wise, and Dumbledore is wise. In fact, if you Google the word wise and look at the images, you'll see lots of pictures of owls and one picture of Gandhi. Right? It's kind of like, is that what we're aiming for? And if it is, what does that mean, right? In, in our day, in our culture, this concept of, of wisdom is quite ill-defined, tends to be mystical, tends to be a little enigmatic. Well, the Bible presents for us a very different picture. Wisdom in the Bible is actually quite a, a, an earthy or, or practical thing. We see this in in, in our text as the book of Proverbs begins by taking the term wisdom and giving us a number of synonyms for it. It takes this rainbow of wisdom and it paints it with a series of different colors or terms. Look, for example, in verse 2 where we see wisdom described as instruction, a word that carries with it the idea of discipline or, or training. Again, in, in verse 2, we see wisdom described as, as understanding. It's a word that comes from a verb that means to be able to discern, to be able to choose rightly between different options. Verse 3, we see wisdom called wise dealing. That's having good sense or a kind of practical insight. Verse 4, wisdom is seen as prudence or discretion. These are terms that refer to those who've made plans, those who have their affairs in order, those who know the ropes. Then in verses 4 and 5, we see wisdom called knowledge or learning. Terms that don't just refer to having a kind of intellectual knowledge, but refer to the, the ability to make that intellectual knowledge work in the real world. And so taken together, we see in in this text, as we'll see in the Bible more broadly in a second, that the wisdom shouldn't be thought of as this mystical or, or enigmatic thing. As if to be wise means to grow a beard and smoke a pipe and issue wise pronouncements and edicts. Instead, wisdom is much more earthy, much more practical. Wisdom is is discipline, it's right choices, it's good sense and smart planning and, and applied knowledge. Because of this, one theologian says, wisdom is skill, expertise, competence that understands how life really works, how to achieve successful and even beautiful results. Now that kind of idea that we see in this text really plays out in the broader biblical context where we see this term wisdom used. Why? Because it tends to appear in quite earthy, practical places. For example, in Exodus 35, the term wisdom is applied to the artists who adorn the tabernacle. 
So their artistic work, their sense of space and their eye for detail is described as, as wise. Or in Jeremiah chapter 10, similarly, the expertise of the, the craftsmen and the goldsmiths are described as the work of, of wise men. Their ability to work with their hands and fashions, fashion materials is described as, as wise. Or Psalm 107, lastly, the know-how of sailors. So their ability to understand the seas and the waves and the tides and the winds and navigate through them toward their desired destination is referred to as, as wisdom. And so we see, not just in this text, but in the larger biblical context, that in the Bible, wisdom's not this theoretical, airy-fairy kind of philosophizing. But it's this earthy, practical, real life uh, ability to understand how real life works and how to make it work really well. Because of this, a number of theologians have defined wisdom as skill in living. And that's a good start. A good start for our biblical definition of wisdom, to have skill in living. And as we get there, I quickly think, well, who doesn't want that? Right? Who doesn't want that? Skill in living, an ability to know how real life works and how to make it work really well. I could use some of that. Um, our lives, life is complicated. Life complicated. Um, you just begin to think of the things that will be on your plate this week. How to manage your time, how to manage your money, how to be a good employee or how to be a good boss, how to be a good friend, how to be a good neighbor, how to be a good parent or how to deal with aging parents, how to be a good spouse and a good lover, how to be a good uh, content soul without always comparing yourself to others. That's before we even get into how to navigate conflict and difficulty and politics and tension and strife. The list could go on and on and on and on. Life is complicated. And as complicated as it is, there aren't really that many clear rules. It's not, I don't know, the kind of encyclopedia of life where you can just scan through it, page 456, section 4.3, tells you exactly what to do in the situation you find yourself. Life just doesn't work that way. It's complicated and there aren't always clear rules. What we need is wisdom. (laughs) Wisdom. It's this thing that falls between the gaps, that moment-by-moment ability to navigate real life in a way that is healthy and successful. Navigate the complexities of life in a way a long list of rules never could. And that's what the book of Proverbs offers us. Skill in living, an ability to understand real life and how to make it work really well. Skill in living. Well, if that's what wisdom is, let's ask our our second question, okay? Sounds good. Sign me up. Put me in. I want this. How do I get it? How do we get it? How do we get this kind of of wisdom? Well, the answer comes in verse 7. You see it there? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge here serves, as I've mentioned already, as a, a synonym for wisdom. This is why a number of translations will say here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that, clear enough. If you want to be wise, just be afraid. Be very afraid of God. And so I'm going to spend the rest of this sermon telling horror story after horror story until we're all a complete mess full of dread but very wise. Yeah? Maybe not. 
Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that sounds strange to our, sounds, sounds strange to our ears. Now the reason it sounds strange to, to our ears is that in the Bible, this term fear is used in a way that's kind of different to how we would use it. In fact, this term fear is actually used in two very distinct ways. Let's think about those two ways it's used for a moment. Uh, first of all, it is used in the Bible, this term fear, in a way that it's similar to how we would use it to describe a sense of, of terror, to describe a sense of dread, to describe that feeling you get when something bad, something really bad is about to happen to you or to someone that you love, when you are afraid, when you feel fear. It's used this way in the book of Jonah as the ship is sinking and the sailors are terrified. They are fearing for their very lives. They think that they're about to meet their destruction and we read that they are greatly afraid. And this term fear is used to describe their terror. You know that kind of feeling, that terror that rises up within you and and, and, and grips you, kind of overwhelms you? I actually had a small taste of it, a momentary taste of it last weekend. We were at a friend's uh, lake house and everyone's out playing on the water and I'm watching my son and I just see him go under the water and I kind of have my eye on him and then he doesn't appear. And seconds pass and a few more seconds pass and more seconds than I'm comfortable with pass and I start to panic a little bit because you know as you look out over dark lake water you can't see the bottom. You, you, can't, you can't see but you know a foot into that water and I sort of feel this rise of fear coming up within me. And then just as I'm feeling that come, up he pops and says, I was seeing how long I could hold my breath. Right? And I went from being afraid to wanting to drown him. Right? Because <laughs> that is hashtag dad life. Right? That's just how, that's how, how it goes. Right? Um, that sense of terror. Can you think of a time you've, you've experienced it? That kind of, kind of fear, that kind of dread? Well, should we, should we fear God in that way? Should we have a sense of terror, a sense of dread as we come to God? The answer in a sense, in a sense is yes. Why? Because God is not the senile grandfatherly figure we'd like to imagine. God isn't this senile Santa Claus up in the sky. In fact, if you approach God in your own strength, in your own merit, with all that you are, or put differently, if you don't approach God through Jesus Christ in his gospel, then you will find as you get near that he is a consuming fire. And not to be played with, not to be toyed with, but, but holy, perfect in every way, righteous and just. The scriptures tell us that nothing impure can enter his presence. And then as we stand at, at the foot of Mount Sinai, where the Lord issued his Ten Commandments, it quickly becomes clear to us that if nothing impure can enter his presence, then we can't enter his presence either. Because while he is perfect in his holiness and his righteousness and his justice, we are not. We are, we are, we are not. In fact, the sight was so terrifying that even Moses said, I tremble with fear. And outside of Christ, shudder we should because it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We want to think rightly about him in his perfection and in his character. So there's a sense in which we could say, yes, we should fear the Lord in that way. But 
That's actually not the way that the Proverbs is, is using the term here. That's not the kind of fear that's spoken about here. It's not the kind of fear that's the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because Proverbs would tell us there's a, there's a greater way in which we need to fear the Lord. Not in terms of terror, but secondly, a, a fear that, is, that describes a sense of, of awe. A sense of awe as we come into the presence of God. It's this kind of wonder-filled, love-induced, love-induced amazement that in the Bible is actually characterized by a kind of gladness or delight. A sense of awe in his presence, filled with wonder in his presence. And so, for example, Proverbs 28 verse 14 will say, says, Happy is the one who fears the Lord always. Fears the Lord always. Now you think... If you were terrified of him always, why would you be happy? And the answer is, well, that's not the way the term is being used. Those who are in awe of God always are those who are happy. Or Isaiah chapter 11 verse 3 says, Delight is in the fear of the Lord. Again, terror wouldn't make you delight in the Lord, but being in awe of him, having this wonder-induced amazement of him will bring delight to your souls. And that's the kind of fear that's been spoken of here. So then we need to ask, okay, but what is it that creates this kind of fear? What is it that creates this kind of wonder-filled amazement of God? And the answer, of course, is not terror over his judgments, but awe over his grace. Grace is what will make us fear in a way that will lead to wisdom. Now, I want you to know I'm not making this up because I know grace is the answer every week. Turn one page back and you'll find yourself in the book of Psalms. Turn a couple of chapters back from there and you'll find yourself in Psalm 130. This is so good. This is what provides what theologians would call the the hermeneutical lens for the book of Proverbs. This is the verse that helps us understand the rest of the book. Okay? Psalm 130, uh, start in verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? That's going back to this sense of terror. If you want to come into God's presence by yourself in your own worth, you can't stand before him. None of us can stand before him. But, what does it say? With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. (laughs) Isn't that good? With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. In other words, it is the forgiveness of God, his grace in the gospel that creates in us this kind of gospel fear. The sense of awe, this wonder-filled, love-induced amazement over who he is and what he's done for us. See, we come to Mount Sinai, yes, in terror, and his perfection uh, brings uh, just an awareness of of our sin and its consequences. But then there is another mount we come to, the mount called Calvary, where we see what he has done on our behalf that we might find forgiveness. Now, as you stand there at the foot of the cross, you should find Jesus fearfully beautiful at Christ all anguish that we might be all joy Christ being cast off that we might be brought in Christ being trampled as an enemy that we might be welcomed as friends at Christ enduring hell's worst that we might attain heaven's best 
Christ being stripped so that we can be clothed and Christ being thirsty so that we might drink and Christ weeping so that our tears might be wiped and ultimately Christ dying that we might have life or today Christ being terrorized that we might have awe that we might have have awe we stand at the cross and we find him fearfully beautiful there is forgiveness with him and because of that forgiveness we fear him with this sense of gladness and so that's the kind of fear that's the beginning of wisdom that's the kind of fear that's the beginning of wisdom kind of gospel fear see we know don't we know that our definition previously was it was good start but insufficient because I need more than skill in living I need more than good tips good advice life hacks right I need, I need more than that what I need skill in living in light of the gospel that's a fuller better biblical definition of, of wisdom and one that we're going to unpack together as we work our way through this series we need more than just tips we need skill in living in light of the gospel we need an encounter with God and then a humble remapping of our lives where we figure out what it means to follow him in every detail what this thing called grace means for the different aspects of our story friends if you have never feared God this way then he invites you today to exchange your terror for awe for you to say, God, I've feared you before. <laughs> I've feared you in my quiet moments where I recognize that I'm not all that you created me to be. But I've never feared you. I've never found you fearfully beautiful. I, I've never seen what you've done for me and been moved by that to, to be amazed by you. But I, but I am now. And I want that forgiveness. And I want to press into figuring out what it means to, to follow you. That is the, the invitation of the scriptures to you today. And if you do have that kind of fear, then, then let's get ready. Let's get ready to dive into this text over these, over these summer weeks. To figure out what it means to live skillfully in light of this uh, gospel. What it means for, the, in the series, we're going to look at what it means for our words what it means for anger, what it means for envy. We're going to think about what it means for our marriages and our parenting and our friendships, what it means for our work and our outreach, figuring out what it means to live skillfully in light of the gospel. That's the offer of the book of Proverbs. i close with a story. You remember the scene in The Wind and the Willows? where uh, Rat and Mole, who are looking for the baby otter, stumble really accidentally into the very presence of God. And the scene unfolds. In the presence of God, suddenly the Mole felt a great awe fall upon him, an awe that turned his muscles to water, bowed his head and rooted his feet to the ground. It was no panic terror. Indeed, he felt wonderfully at peace and, and happy. Rat, he found breath to whisper, shaking, Are you afraid? Afraid, murmured the rat, his eyes shining with unutterable love. Afraid of him? 
Never, no, never, and yet, and yet, I am afraid. Then the two animals, crouching to the earth, bowed their heads and did worship. At the cross, we do the same, because you will never feel more secure or more afraid at the same time than you are in the gospel of Jesus. And there's this kind of fear, this awe, this wonder-filled amazement that's induced by his love that is for us the beginning of wisdom. Let's pray together. Father, you have perfect wisdom, but you also have perfect generosity. And so you have promised if anyone lacks wisdom they should come to you and ask and you will give generously to all without finding fault and that is good news for us Lord because if you wanted to find fault there'd be a lot you could find and yet you call us to come in fear in awe and find wisdom to live skillfully in light of your grace toward us to figure out how to navigate the complexities of life uh, effectively but joyfully in your hand. So Lord, be with us in this series and make us a wise people. Um, <laughs> give us that, that understanding of how real life works and how to make it work really well before your face. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.